Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, yes, the magnificent Trolley Sourbright Crawler, also known as Trollicus brightolus. The worm's captivating neon colour makes it an easy gummy prey. Trolley! It's a surprisingly sour, invitingly chewy, staggeringly snackable species unlike anything else found on this planet. Eat me! Delicious. Visit trolley.com to shop now. Trolley, eat me! With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hello and welcome to this week's Olive Magazine podcast. I'm Janine Olive's food director and I'll be your host for this episode. Coming up, web editor Alex chats to Chief Subdom about the best places to eat and drink in Brighton. Later on, we'll hear from digital intern and keen baker Amanda on her tips for making your cakes Great British Bake Off worthy. But first up, I caught up with our cookie writer Adam to find out the secret to baking with salt. Okay, so this week I'm here with Adam, cookie writer. Hello. Hi, Adam. We've got a great new technique that's just gone up on the website, which is um, salt baking a whole... Quite large rainbow trout. Yeah, that one was quite a large one. <laughs> it was yeah. a beast. It was a beast. Yeah, um, and it's part of your techniques um, series. So tell us, tell us what what's the big deal with salt baking? Well, um, I suppose firstly it's salt baking. So yeah. you beautifully season a piece of fish. Yeah. So um, as opposed to just like salting a steak or anything. Yeah. Over the forty minutes in the oven or forty-five minutes, the salt has a real chance to um, penetrate the flesh of the skin mm. of the fish. Um, T- tell me, tell me, like the the sort of how do you put it together? Because the salt's not just salt, is it? It's got other things in it. Well, I mean, you can when you usually salt bake, you can do it two ways. You can yeah. do it. You can make a salt dough, which is with flour, water, and salt. Or mm. in, in this case, it's just egg whites uh, and salt, really. And the egg whites help to, as it cooks, sort of set the salt and bind it, and then make it uh, an airtight seal, okay. so that this, the fish can like really cook really nicely and evenly and steam in its own juices. So when you mix the salt and egg whites, you end up with this kind of mush, salt yeah, mush it's kind that of like you can a, a thick paste that you yeah. can sort of uh, just sort of obviously get a nice, well, a nice big baking sheet same size as your fish or bigger than your fish yeah um and then you sort of lay like a, a little basically you basically just lay the outline of the fish like from thickest to, to narrowest point fish on top and then 
salt to completely encase. The, so you uh, have to completely encase the fish. That's the idea. It, yeah, yeah. You want it. You want it to be a pretty, pretty tight seal so that, that so, it's, so all the moisture is sealed inside. Because yeah. basically, what you're doing is um, modern ovens are basically made to whip as much um, moisture away from the cooking oh, right, environment okay. as possible. Yeah. That's why you've got a fan, so it distributes the heat evenly, and it also gets rid of all the moisture. So like how you can get nice crispy chicken skin or anything like that. Yeah. Whereas this, the the steam can't really go anywhere. So the, the oh, salt so crust, it. yeah, so salt crust heats up yeah. and then um, sort of becomes the same temperature as the oven as it would. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so it's sort of all the juices that are coming out of the fish kind of just bouncing up and down and go back in and um, sort of... Sort so of, I think you said on the piece, it's like an oven within an oven, yes, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So you're exactly. creating your own micro fish salt yeah, yeah. oven. <laughs> so it's cooking, it's cooking its own juices. Yeah. Isn't it going to be really salty though? Well, the good thing about, well, I would always suggest to do anything with a good, like a, a good skin. So if right. you're doing vegetables, something like celeriac or beetroot, um, anything or potatoes, anything that can sort of with like just give you a little bit yeah, of a barrier okay. to the flesh. Um, and likewise, when you're doing with trout, it's got nice thick skin from being in the you know cold British waters. So, um, so it's going to get seasoned rather than like I mean blow your head off saltiness. The the, fl- the, the skin will be pretty salty because yeah. it's in direct. But you contact. probably won't want to eat that anyway, no, would you? Because it, it's not it's not like pan fried crispy. Yeah, it's kind of just like <laughs> salty flabbiness, yeah. which is I don't think that's very nice for anyone. But your crust is a lovely green colour, right? Yeah. So that's got some other bits in it so yeah i kind of thought about doing it um obviously it's a good way to get um seasonings yeah. i kind of thought about it a bit like a brine so when you make a oh, brine yeah. um to like season or you know to before you cook um chicken a chicken say yeah you can um you know you'd always add like peppercorns and any sort of spices and herbs um so i thought it might be cool to to blend some herbs and make it a bit of a wacky color because i think that's pretty cool so we've got this beautiful bright green crust and i think that's part of um the theater of salt crust bacon isn't it that you're you're going to bring this to the table and everyone's going to go Ooh. Ooh, ah. yeah absolutely ah. i mean it is i mean what's in there yeah yeah i mean salt baking I mean, a whole shape fish gives it away, but yeah 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 that's pretty yeah. obvious but um Salt baking a whole fish, you know, it's all about carrying it to the table and, mm. and busting all that off and getting everyone to sort of chip in and help out. And yeah, yeah I think, yeah, the green sort of just adds to that. And so makes you've got it bit... parsley and dill in there, but you've also got fennel, which is a really lovely fragrance, yeah, fennel seeds, like yeah. sp- spice as well. So, yeah. I mean, can you kind of adapt it to whatever you wanted because you've oh, got kind absolutely. of Asian-y with it? Or, oh, I guess... absolutely. I mean, you need some, some cumin and coriander seeds would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, in there. yeah. And get some coriander yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. I, I, definitely some chilies as well. And you've said on your, on your on your intro that actually when you when you do the salt crust it, it actually increases the um oh, sorry it makes the cooking time a little bit shorter because yeah. it like bumps up the temperature and the intensity a bit like a pressure cooker I guess yeah yeah so I suppose um, I suppose it's sort of changing slightly the way in which the fish is cooking so like. Uh, obviously in an oven you cook by convection so that's just hot you heat the air around the object that you're yeah. cooking whereas the salt crust will get um, well we yeah, cook it by conduction almost almost like you know say frying a steak in a frying pan but not yeah. not as direct as that but yeah, yeah it will get hotter and, and cook it a lot quicker than if you just roasted that in a, yeah. in a tray so be careful about it. i mean you've got good timings <clears throat> on this but obviously you don't want to overcook your fish no and also, and it, yeah and also because you rest it you kind of give it a chance to oh, so it kind will of, just carry yeah, on just ticking yeah. over and getting all those like redistributing all those juices yeah. so and let's just talk about the salt because um we're not talking about using 
bog standard table salt on this. No. But we're also not talking about using the poshest ever Malden sea salt because it would no, bankrupt no. you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, if you want to do that, fine. But, uh, I, I mean, I would. If you're that kind of person. Yeah, yeah, why not? Flashy. Yeah, yeah do it. But I guess something like... Um, Standard coarse sea salt. Yeah, I think or it's just like, even it's just about, fine, yeah. fine or coarse. Coarse, it doesn't matter hugely. Yeah. Um, but just yeah, not the absolute worst, but not the absolute best either. Yeah, yeah. I think just you know, every supermarket has like a a, a, a relatively decent sea salt. You yeah. know, as long as it's not just salt yeah. from you know some chemist somewhere. And if you um, if you search this salt baked rainbow trial on, online at olivemagazine.com, there's some really lovely pictures of Adam kind of step-by-step step, taking you through the process of, of making the fish. But it's not the only salt-baked thing we've got online. In fact, chefs chefs love a bit of salt-baking, yeah, don't they? I've, yeah. been, I've been reading a few of them. Um, we've got a great one from Dan Doherty, uh, who did some salt-baked turnips for us a while mm, back. Um, delicious. And he did what you mentioned before, which is actually makes a salt dough, yeah. which is flour, water and salt. Yeah can't eat that dough afterwards no i, I wouldn't, wouldn't even I wouldn't try suggest it i would break suggest your teeth it. yeah one would would be the, the saltiest dentist trip you've ever been to yeah. but um but what it also does is it makes a really dense impenetrable dough so, so for something that's a bit hardier like a turnip yeah it completely traps all that steam yeah, in yeah and um you know you might think a turnip's a really boring vegetable but you know we like them i, I don't I, I love a turnip <laughs> um but that actually, it makes it into something really sweet. And once mm. you crack open the salt dough crust, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he serves that with a mustard sauce and it's absolutely delicious. Mm. Um, and we've also got something else that you mentioned earlier, which is salt baked beetroot. Yeah. I think root vegetables, especially root vegetables really... Are really, I mean, it just seems to bring out an inherent sweetness in most vegetables yeah. when you do it. So, yeah, beetroot. Because they don't lose their moisture. If you roast a veg, it's going to lose a bit of moisture in the oven, isn't it? Yeah. Where with, with this method... When you're completely covering it in something, it's kind of keeping all that moisture. Yeah, in, you're kind of just condensing that, it. And, yeah, keeping yeah. all the natural sugars inside. Yeah. So yeah, the salt baked beets one. I think that was a bit like your method where you took egg whites, salt, and ducker spice, um, and uh, patted it around the beetroot and let that go crusty and and you know. But you can also um, you can also go freeform. I think which I've read a few recipes where you literally. Um, and this is where you probably would use a cheaper salt because mm. you use a, a lot of it. Um, you cover a little tray in salt, put your smaller veg on there and then just literally bury them in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you, I, I actually, when I was working a few weeks ago at an event, I did a few salmons and I think it was literally just salt and water. So really? just enough, just enough water to make it a, like a paste. Yeah. And then, yeah, you just use enough that it sort of, it, it, it doesn't... It, kind of supports itself so you don't need to like bind it or anything you just kind of absolutely pile was it on. Was that roasting it or was that that barbe- barbecue? Yeah yeah but it? we cooked it in some Argentinian um, <laughs> strange way between 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 two pieces of uh, cast iron yeah, yeah with fires on the bottom and underneath. But essentially the, above, the same but. the same process. Yeah, yeah it's just putting it in an oven. They yeah. call it a little hell in uh, in Spanish but I, can't, I, but I can't remember what that actually is because <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. If anyone can remember what it is yeah. you know write in and tell us but anyway. But well, yeah you're right you, I mean you can literally just if you've got if you've got quite a lot of salt to hand, you can just chuck loads on a tray, stick your veg in yeah. like you know sporadically, and then just pile it up on 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 top and, and round. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some great ideas there, so do head to olivemagazine.com and check them out, um, and you know get a bit more salt in your bacon. Thanks yeah, very why much, not? Adam. Cheers. 
Alex has just spent a long weekend discovering some hidden Brighton gems. Let's hear her recommendations. Hello, so it's Alex here and I am chatting to uh, Dom who's new to the Olive team and this is his first podcast. So welcome to the Thank podcast, you very much. Dom. Thank you. I'm sure everybody will be hearing his voice a lot over the coming months. The reason why I'm chatting to Dom today is because I recently went down to Brighton from London on the train and it is actually, I'm ashamed to say, my first time that I've been. Shocking. Considering it's so close and so easy to get to. Um, and the reason why Dom is chatting to me about Brighton is because he is local to Brighton. Yes, indeed. Yes, you? yes. Um, so I've been, in, I've been in Brighton tips. for three and a half years now. Fab. Um, so actually one of the things I do really enjoy about Brighton is that it is a bit of a destination yes um and particularly on the weekend uh the city has a real kind of buzz about it all the day trippers coming down um you go to the station there's those smiling faces people coming off the trains because yeah. they you know it's like a day out by the seaside yeah um but I think the focus we're going to talk about today is the food scene that's happening yes. there I think because uh, there's so many things going on there there really are there's so many so many restaurants and cafes that have opened up recently we've been a bit overwhelmed which is what, why I went down to mm-hmm. do a destination like foodie tour um, so I actually had like when I got off the train I had a destination in mind I was going to the new uh, restaurant Pascheri I think that's how you pronounce it P-A-S-C-E-R-E and that was like incredible I don't know if anybody saw the beef shin papadilla Delhi, I put on um, Instagram, but that got a lot of love. Um, and the review is actually on olivemagazine.com now if you want to read that. But I can imagine if you don't have a destination, when you get off the train, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Yes. And Dom, you said that there is actually a little route that you can do and you make sure you get everything in. Yes, I so think that's yeah, great. So can it's, you share that? Yeah, with us? It's, I think when you come out of the station, you basically got to. Uh, sort of a road that, that heads straight down to the seafront mm-hmm. um my suggestion is as you come out of the station you take a little right and there's a sort of little tunnel you go under onto trafalgar street and that takes you into straight to the north lane area right yes it's quite easy to bypass um those first few streets but um it's really for me it's the most interesting area of brighton there's loads it's where all the little independent shops are it's away from the sort of the, the big shopping center and all the kind of the high street shops so that's my first recommendation. Head there, down to Falga Street, and then you sort of wend your way down through towards um, basically the pavilion area. Oh, uh, yeah, that's beautiful. Just around there. Yeah. Um, once you've seen the pavilion, um, thread your way through the lanes, um, which is a sort of the oldest part of Brighton. Can you just explain the lanes a little bit more to people who might not know about yeah. I know they're very famous, but um, I actually didn't really know what they were. Yeah, I, I mean, it's basically a series of tiny little alleyways. Um, um, there's loads of little interesting kind of... There's a little sort of antique shops, knick-knack shops. Mm. Um, there's little cafes and restaurants. Um, it gets very busy down there on the weekends, yeah. um, but it's really worth exploring. You can kind of lose yourself um, it, down the It did the remind me a little bit of like Portobello Road with all of the knick-knack shops. And yes. like, they're obviously very busy, but it still is quite charming. Like, it it's is. definitely worth yes. going to, isn't it? Absolutely. And you're, really, you're getting really close to the seafront by that stage. Um, so and within another five minutes, you're down on the front. There's the pier there. Um, and basically the promenade is really nice. There's, there's, yeah. there's lots of nice bars there. Again, it gets really, really hectic on a hot summer's afternoon. So yes, I can imagine. 
it's you really want to see it, but there's also so much more to explore in Brighton if you feel it's a little bit overbearing. Yeah. So I um I actually managed to do that route because um Dom um told me about it before. Um and one of the my favourite places that I visited in the North Lane was the Flowerpot Bakery. Have you been there? Yes, I have many um, a time. It's yes. just gorgeous, like really lovely breads and bakes and huge carrot cakes that I don't know if they have them every day, but you're like, if you <laughs> if you see a piece of carrot cake when you're there nab it I'm I'm sure you'll love it um but um there are so many coffee shops and cafes in Brighton that yes. again it's quite overwhelming so what's your favorite apart from well um yeah well, I was gonna say if you like coffee then Brighton's the place to go to I, I read um uh, fairly recently that I think um people in Brighton consume the most coffee per head in the whole country really um oh. and the I mean in, in some places, virtually every other place is a coffee shop. So That's what we like to hear. It's <laughs> hugely competitive, uh, and that makes for good coffee because yeah. it, to stand out and to, you know, to be a successful coffee shop, you've got to make really good coffee. So if you are a fan, then Brighton is definitely the place to head to. Um, my personal recommendation is um, a place called Pelicano, which is on Sydney Street, which is the same street as the Flower Pot Bakery. Um, they actually have their own um, small roastery on site. Oh, wonderful. So they source beans from all around the world, ethically sourced. They roast them on location. Um, they sell bags of beans, freshly roasted beans behind the counter. Loads of choice. Um, the coffee they make is really creamy, deep, delicious coffee. Ooh. Really good selection of cakes and pastries over the counter, which are all made by um, you know local bakers. Uh, it's really you're bang in the middle of the north lane as well it's a kind of perfect pit stop um you know if you're feeling a bit tired after yeah. afternoon shopping and, and also you can down. go straight from the station i imagine yes yep it's really so as soon as you get off you can get your coffee exactly things. exactly yes yeah um so what about if you know you've been to brighton a few times and you've done all the touristy bits like i'm going to go back to do a couple of reviews um for the magazine in a couple of weeks so um where where would you recommend going for someone who wants to see like a really local side of Brighton? Yep. So um, as I said, most people when they arrive in Brighton head straight out the front of the station, down towards the seafront. Um, if you've been to Brighton a few times, you've seen the North Lane, uh, you've seen the pavilion, the lanes and the seafront, and you want to see something a little bit different that maybe is a bit up and coming, that locals really enjoy visiting, I'd recommend the London Road area. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, what you need to do is when you arrive at the station, you basically want to exit out the back. Okay. Um, so you sort of so away from the seafront. Yeah. So you yep. sort of you come through the gates, turn left, and then there's a little exit around the side at the back. Um, there's a flight of steps. Head down there, and within a few minutes, you'll be on London Road. Fab. And um, what is there there to so, eat? <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's um, it's a bit rough around the edges. Um, it's the area that I live in, um, but. Um, Probably the first place I'd suggest you head to is um, a place called the Open Market. Right. It's, a, it's actually a market that's been around for a long time, but they re- recently um, rejuvenated the whole thing. It's now a covered market. Um, it's really, really interesting. There's loads of little places in there. There's, I mean, there's 50-odd storeholders in there wow. and um, little artists' um, shops in there. You know, there's things like... Um, Fruit and veg stalls, fishmonger, um, place selling vinyl records, second-hand books, handmade chocolates, pastries. Um, but there's also loads of little good places to eat. Uh, the one that stands out for me is a place called Cuisina. It's a little Greek cafe. 
um, with really delicious meze um, mm. and classic dishes like moussaka, meatballs, spanakopita. Ooh, um, there's a really great little hummus and falafel place called Smalls. Um, there's a place called Spice of Life, which does Goan and Bangladeshi dishes, uh, including little lunch boxes to take away. A uh, little ice cream parlor called Mathers, which is also really good. There's regular little vintage fairs they hold on weekends um, where Great. local people just brings, um, you know, stuff they've made um, to sell. Uh, really... Sounds really diverse. Yeah, it's... Um, if you happen to get to Brighton and it's a bit of a grim day, a bit rainy, this is a perfect place because it's covered. Ideal. There's lots to explore. You can easily fill a couple of hours there. Okay, amazing. Thank you. Um, another place that I, so um, I spent a couple of days there and I was staying at the Artist Residence, which is on Regency Square, which is stunning and mm. it's, you have views of the old pier that um, sadly burnt down. Um, but, um, well, to be fair, Artist Residence in itself is a destination because yeah. you've got the set, which is the brunch, uh, an amazing brunch place. And also you can have a set evening meal there. And also the Cocktail Shack. Have you been to the Cocktail Shack? I haven't, no. It's so buzzy. They play like really great music and it's a tiny little place and they have really like tongue-in-cheek named cocktails like this one something based on Ryan Gosling and like all this so yeah that's great but um if you turn right as you're looking at the seafront out of artist residence you're coming into Hove yes. the Hove area so Brighton is technically called isn't it Brighton Hove because Hove and yeah. Brighton have merged into one but due to expansion yeah there's 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 the two separate um sort of cities I suppose but um the, the sort of the, the space between them has filled so much that um I guess to um, a visitor, you you would you wouldn't sort of know where when you were crossing from one into the other. Yeah. Um, but Hove is a really gorgeous area. Um, yeah, it's lovely. It's uh, quite. Um, there's like lots of like art galleries. It's quite smart, isn't it? There's um, mm-hmm. there's another flower pot bakery there, um, and that's a bigger one. And I think it's um, it's got nicer interiors anyway. Um, and there's also um, a great family-run Italian restaurant called Morocco's, and they've got really great homemade gelato. Mm-hmm. And there's always queues for that. I don't know if you've seen those yes. queues. Yes. Um, but um, you said that in Hove there's quite a lot of, like, festivals as well. Yeah, well, um, I mean, one thing Brighton's good for is uh, is festivals and food festivals particularly. Hove Lawns is, seems to be the focal point for um, festivals um, that happen spring, autumn, uh, and the end of April. Um, just to name check a couple, there's the... Um, uh, the Brighton Food Fest has spring and autumn festivals and the Foodies Festival happens at the end of April, as I mentioned. Um... But I think there are more and more things popping up all the time um, because um, in conjunction with all the restaurant openings, I think there is just a general buzz about food in Brighton. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And people visiting for that very reason. Yeah, because there's so many places that have opened up recently. So I visited Pasheri, which I I highly recommend. They have uh, small plates and also uh, a tasting menu in the evening. They have that beef shim pappadelli that I talked about. Um, And also there's um, a cute little Italian place called Chin Chin, um, which means cheers. And that's um, up in the North Lane area. And that's great because it's just... um, 
there's only about 20 seats and it's around a counter and you have homemade pasta and antipasti. Um, and then a lot of places are so successful that they're actually opening second places. So 64 Degrees, I know you've been there, haven't you? Yes. Uh, can you tell fantastic. us very quickly about that? Yeah, it's so a small little place, um, really intimate, sort of really nice low lighting, really great sort of date venue, I'd say. Um, we sat up at the counter next to the kitchen. Um, the food is just really subtle um, use of sort of simple ingredients, but um, it feels like a real treat. And um, I mean, it gets rave reviews and, uh, and it's always popular with locals. And Amazing. I can totally see why when I went there. I loved Great. It. That's good to know that a local um, is, you know, in agreement with all the tourists, <laughs> um, the foodie tourists. Um, so 64 Degrees have actually just opened about um, a month ago uh, a new restaurant called Murmur. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going down there um, in a couple of weeks to review that. So look out on olivemagazine.com to see what we think. Well, thank you. And it's been a lovely talking to you, your first podcast. Thank um, you. Thank you very yeah, much. <laughs> and speak to you again soon. Now the Great British Bake Off is back on our screens, digital intern Amanda shares her top tips for becoming a star baker. Hello, I'm here with Ellie and we're here to talk to you about baking, all things baking. Last night we saw the return of the Great British Bake Off, but on obviously Channel 4. We did and yeah. It's new presenters. I know, but I'm. St- it's still, you know, still what we love yeah. about Bake Off, isn't it? I wouldn't say there was like masses of difference. It felt, it felt like... Ooh, felt like true it was to the bake turning off. to our screens yeah. in a familiar way. Yeah. I did really enjoy it. Definitely. Adverts didn't annoy me too much. No, we got <laughs> through them. <laughs> so anyway, we thought it would be a good idea to talk about um, what they actually made last night, baked, the technical challenge, that kind of thing. Yeah. So the first one was they had to make a fruity cake. And sorry if we're giving away any spoilers by this yes. point, but... You yeah. know, it was on last night, come on. You've, you've had time of the to catch up. <laughs> so, yeah, fruit cake. So there were a few... Uh, there was a pineapple upside down one. There was. There was the coconut cake, which coconut was cake. Poor Peter Lee, yeah. which I really liked him. But that was a shame. We love a coconut cake here we, at um, Olive. We do. And there were quite a few um, apple cakes, weren't there? Chopped yes, up apple. That was a classic kind of apple combo. Popular theme going on. Oh, and Jan had the one with the crumble on top, which I thought looked really oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Mm, mixing two together. Yes, true. Lovely. And she also was the first one to have a slight disaster. Oh. Start over. Yeah, <laughs> had to redo it, but she saved it. She, she came back. <laughs> what? What's your favourite fruity cake? Well, as everyone knows in the Olive um, team, as I'm quite a lover of citrusy fruits anyway, like I'd always go for um, some sort of citrus over chocolate. So I'd have to say mine would be like lemon Mm. or an orange cake or something like that. Citrus. Nice and fresh. Clementine. Yeah. I... um so last week I made the upside down pear and yes, ginger I saw from, that. from the recent Looking Olive magazine. Beautiful. And that, um, yeah, that is now a firm favourite of yeah, mine. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it looks very, it resembled the recipe very well, oh, Ellie, I'm I have glad to, say. to hear it. <laughs> Instagram pic was great. <laughs> so the next challenge they did was the technical challenge, which always is always a bit stressful yeah. for them. Stressful and, for them and for us to yeah, watch. Definitely. <laughs> and it was mini rolls. And a lot of the time with the technical challenge, like with Jaffa Cakes they made in previous years, is that I'm not quite sure I'd actually ever attempt to make them myself no. at home. No, I, I don't think like I would. some things are better left. Yeah, bought. we've not seen that technical before, haven't we? And I think no. it was a little bit like, oh, Ooh, the strange this, one. Yeah, 
stairs is why a bit random. We, yeah, why wouldn't we just buy Cadbury's? Well, exactly. <laughs> but some some of them did look great, and they had the the, the swirls throughout. They did, which, and they did look fantastic. To be fair, and yeah. Paul and Prue seemed very happy with they them. They did, so. and Paul was giving a few handshakes out. He, wasn't he was, and social media did erupt over this. I have to say, yeah. I saw. Did you? Yeah, Paul giving away some handshakes in the first episode, willy nilly. People weren't happy about <laughs> no. it, but they, they did well under the pressure that yeah. we had the first episode. I feel like they deserve the handshake. Definitely. And then obviously the showstopper, the illusion cake. Yes. See, I am, um, so personally, I'm not a massive fan of cakes that are covered in icing. No. But I was amazed by some of the ones, the sandwich one, of course. I mean, yeah, I, as if it was a cake, it wasn't a sandwich, it, it, it wasn't a loaf of bread. It was incredible. <laughs> Stephen, yeah, he, nailed that, really. Yeah, outdid himself, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And then, obviously, there was also the watermelon cake, which looks brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and Paul also really liked that. That was one of our favourites this morning when we all came in talking yeah. about... Yeah, had our little debrief. Yep. Um, I was also a fan of the pancake stack oh, with yes. the yoghurt and granola on top. That's um, right. I like that one too. Just because I couldn't imagine it working. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, wow. Looked pretty epic, yeah, didn't it? Yeah, it's good. He brought himself back. He did. Yeah, he redeemed yeah. himself there. We thought we'd also maybe touch on a few of the old episodes yes. because obviously Great British Bake Off is a favourite for most people. <laughs> and we, um, Ed Kimber, who yes. is the Great British Bake Off first season winner, is a big favourite here at Olive. And yes, he does we love quite him. a few lovely recipes for us that are all on olivemagazine.com yes. if you want to go and check them out. He's quite the baker. He has always lots of tips and does great features for us. Yeah. Um, in previous years, I remember last year they did, um, one of the technical challenge was like a lace pancake. And I felt that that tested the baker's art skills rather than their baking yes. skills, which I wasn't too sure about. Get the creative juices flowing. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I've not ever tried a a lace pancake before but no. they did look pretty epic to be fair they did let us know if any of you have ever tried a lace pancake yeah, we'd, we'd be like intrigued. to see the pics um, but also I remember seeing um, the baked Alaska I can't oh, remember who yeah. that was Ian now. Ian that yeah. was it oh, and um, every Ian. time I think of like the disasters I think of that melting yeah, baked Alaska the ice house. cream stressful that Goodness. was watching that that's honestly that's social media crazy yes, for a good exactly. few months I think yeah so it's safe to say uh, GBBO's back and we yeah. love it yeah I can't wait for next week. And so Amanda is going to give us some of her baking tips as well. So yes. some people say that when you use a mixer to make cakes, that's cheating. What do you think? Um, well, I would most definitely say it's not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Mary Barry would agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm Prue Leaf <laughs> yes. now. Sorry, yes, I'm Prue. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't. Why don't you make it slightly easier for yourself? There's that yeah. equipment's there, isn't it, for it to be used. Exactly. I have um, my K-mixer. A lot of people obviously have their KitchenAid yeah, or whatever one you've got. Yeah. You might, it makes it Does. helps for sure, especially when you're doing big cakes, wedding cakes, or birthday cakes, something. Yeah, and it helps make sure it's binding in enough and mixed yeah. on enough for gives you that reassurance. Yeah. Unless you're going for like you know I don't know some serious yeah. muscle power. Unless you want like, like a workout at the same time. Yeah. Good. And <laughs> um, what are some of your other top pieces of equipment to use? So I would say um, I do a lot of wedding cakes and birthday cakes and things. So I would say some things that I couldn't live without is a cake leveler. 
Um, I, if you've got a great eye for cutting a cake and stuff with a serrated <laughs> knife, then be my guest. But I'm not going to lie. No. I, I definitely am a bit wobbly. So with the cake leveler, this really helps make the two sponges even as possible. Yeah. Especially if you're stacking to do a wedding cake. Yeah, you need it. You, you want it to, it to be even. even exactly. Yeah. And then also a cake lifter. It took, I didn't get this straight away. And I was often using various palette knives to get under Fish the Fish slices to yes. balance it. And I was yeah. like, why am I not going to speak cake lifter? So... Lo and behold, I went and bought one, and Amazing. it's the best thing ever. <laughs> just to really get it under there and help stick, especially when you're doing the tiered cakes. It just helps, especially also if you're just um, stacking anyway. It saves mm. the crumbling of yeah. your cakes, and it saves the panic of what. Yeah. What if this falls while exactly. I'm lifting it? Yeah. Because often some cakes are crumblier than others. Like a chocolate cake often is um, a lot more moist yeah. <laughs> than um, and so sometimes if you're trying to get it under the thin palette knife it won't always work yeah. so um, mm. and also um, using the right tin so if you're following a recipe um, often I've done it in the past i put my hand up to that I've <laughs> gone oh this tin looks about right follow the recipe and then it doesn't have the same height or anything and yeah. I haven't got this doesn't look like it they don't does. look like the same yeah. form of brownies I wanted <laughs> um, so always make sure your tin is right yeah and when you have the tin make, um, I butter it to death like yeah. butter it and put loads of baking um, parchment parchment on. in it and, it and higher up as well because you don't right. want it spilling for one no and also you don't want it to stick yeah because exactly better, better like, safe than sorry Exactly. And like most things, if it gets old, it starts to lose its stick a bit. So you want to make sure it's not sticking to the tin. Exactly. <laughs> and what about some cooking techniques? Um, how do you know when a cake is ready? So um, often, obviously, there's the trick with putting a knife or a toothpick into the sponge and it coming out clean, which is definitely works and everything. Yeah. But I've had a few disasters in the past where I've done that, got it out thinking, oh, it looks like it's going to overcook. I don't want it to be dry. And yeah. it's dropped in the middle and it's still not cooked yeah um so i always this is my personal preference i i do this make sure it comes out clean and also i will touch it to make it spring back and make sure it's golden right then you really know so you've got the sensory ways of telling as well yeah yeah and i always i don't overcook it longer but your um oven ovens are all different yeah and you know your oven best yeah exactly so if i think it says cook it for 40 minutes and i think it's not quite done then i will yeah and you yeah, everyone knows. And also a lot of the time by looking at it, you, you can know, tell. Yeah. Sometimes it has a wobble and you're like, okay, well, yeah. this clearly isn't done. Yeah. And if you think it's going to be dry um, or you think, oh, I don't want it to be dry, whatever, yeah. I have to make a sugar syrup. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah. So just like um, same ratio of sugar to water and just um, simmer it on the, yeah. the hob and then just... If you're doing a lemon cake, add a bit of squeeze of lemon in there. And oh, so just, you flavour it to the yeah, cake. Yeah, and just brush nice. on top just to keep it a little bit um, wetter. Wetter, so it, yeah. You know, it's not going to dry out if you are worried about that. That is a great idea. <laughs> and finally, so yeah. a lot of Amanda's cakes are incredibly neat and beautiful. So how do you get that <laughs> layer of icing, buttercream? How do you get it to look so um, tidy? Well... One th- I didn't straight away do this because I didn't really realise it until I tested it one day and I actually put all my all the buttercream that I fill the cakes in up with it I do it through a piping bag. Okay. Rather than dolloping it on and spreading yes. it with my palette knife, knife. Yeah. I first of all, this is controversial, I know. Ooh. I put the jam on first. Oh lots of like, people don't. like the scones all over again. It is, <laughs> <laughs> um but I put a layer of jam or lemon curd or 
caramel, whatever it is you're doing, and then I pipe the buttercream just to give right. it the um, even effect the whole way round. Yeah. And I don't do it quite to the edge, especially if you're doing a naked cake. Right, yes. Um, because you want it to, if want it's going to squidge down a bit, you don't want it to come yeah. completely over the top. Um, but that is the best way, I would say, because when you cut in and you've got your nice slice, it's yeah. completely it's level and looks beautiful inside and out. Amazing. <laughs> so there we go. There are some great yep. baking tips. And yeah, let us know what you think of the new Bake Off series and yep. who you think is going to win so far. Yeah, we'll be watching next week along with all of you guys. So, um, And what is it next week? It'll be the Biscuit Week. Biscuit Week. We all love Exciting. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we do. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please don't forget to go review and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our packed September issue now from newsagents or download the app. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with even more food and drink chat. <laughs>